Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, everyone. Come on in and get your favorite beverage. Get in your comfy chair. I am so stoked about today's podcast. If you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you already know I've been a martial artist for 22 years. I also have a dance background. We had Doug Setter on the show last year talking about his story and martial arts training which was awesome, but today will be even better. I have on the show today my very first martial arts teacher, Kenny Yezik, on the show today. He was my Jeet Kune Do instructor, where it all began. Even though he stopped teaching me in 2007, there are many lessons and skills that are still with me. I haven't seen him in a long time, so this will be part catch-up and part interview. We are going to talk about safety and self-defense in this evil world that we live in. Now, even though you're not interested in martial arts, I really encourage you to stick around We're going to talk about a variety of topics, Hollywood, the Me Too movement, dancing, travel. For those of you who don't know the name Kenny Yezik, he's an actor, a dancer, and primarily known for his role as Lars England in Days of Our Lives back in the 80s. You can Google him. His Wikipedia page is a mile long. I will just read the highlights of his bio here. Kenny Ezek has choreographed, directed, and staged productions of all types. Feature films, television, music videos, commercials, theatrical productions. Kenny has choreographed and performed in them all. While starring as Lars England on NBC's Days of Our Lives, he did much of his own choreography. He has also performed in the Los Angeles companies of two Tony Award-winning Broadway musicals, Cats and 42nd Street. His professional resume reads like a who's who of Hollywood performers with such stars as Jermaine Jackson, Diana Ross, Olivia Newton-John, Tita Rivera, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Travolta, Dana Shore, Molly Ringwald, Sidney Poitier, and Kim Fields, just to name a few. An all-around dancer, Kenny at one time was one of the most working dancers in the U.S. As a tapper, Kenny has tapped with and learned from some of the very best in the business, including Gregory Hines and Sammy Davis Jr., Kenny also holds black belts and master certifications in several different martial arts styles and has often been called on to choreograph fight scenes for stage and film. He founded Christian Freestyle Karate and owned and operated a successful martial arts school. Kenny's movie credits include lead roles in three independent feature films, Carla Faye Tucker, Forevermore, Come What May, and Jack Phoenix, the latter of which he also served as a co-producer. Two other film credits are Fast Forward, produced and directed by Academy Award-winning legend Sidney Poitier, and Pretty in Pink. Among his television credits, He has guest starred in several TV shows like Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, and Fame. 
one of my favorites. More recently, Kenny has had the privilege of opening Alice Cooper's Christmas Pudding Concert at Comerica Theater in Phoenix with a tap number he choreographed. He currently teaches dance and acting at Full Out Performance Dance Company and Dance Fusion in Arizona, all while managing and developing projects through his production company, Command Performers. Kenny and his wife, Karen, who is also an accomplished actress with a long list of professional credits, they have two daughters and grandchildren. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. Here's Kenny. There are people that you meet that change your life forever in more ways than one. And one of those people is my friend, Kenny Yezik. Glad to have you on the show today, Kenny. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we finally got this arranged and we could do it. I know it's been a bit of a difficult thing nailing me down. Yeah, you're a busy man with a ton of stuff going on. <laughs> Yeah, it's. It, it, I think it's good for me though. You know, I want to. I want to keep doing stuff because it keeps me alert and it keeps me feeling younger. Yes, you and me both. And we've we've been on Facebook together, but I haven't seen you in like ten years. Yeah, did I see you over at um at Heath's Master Heath's class that one time when I promoted him? No, it was um, Patty Stevens shows. Okay, all right. When you produced her show. Yep. I think that was the last time I saw you. Okay. But we finally saw each other at the Alice Cooper Teen Center grand yeah. opening here. Yeah. That was last summer, though. Yeah, that was really cool. That, that was exciting. I got to see you for 60 seconds. Yeah. When, and get a hug. <laughs> when, I go, when I go to something like that, I'm literally catching up with about a thousand people. I mean, and, and so I'm kind of like going every direction I can. And then Cheryl's like, come, come back to the green room, come and hang with us. So I kind of say my hellos to everybody and, and they always try to introduce me to different people. And so it's for, for me and, and I rarely see uh, Cheryl and Alice just because they're so busy on tour and everything with what they've got going. So when I get a chance to kind of connect, we just connect and then they're like, come hang out and, and sit in the back with us and chat. So that's kind of what we did. But it was good to see you. I know it was I, like that. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I enjoyed the performances of the teens and then Alice came out and performed. And yeah. I actually thought you were going to get up there and tap dance and you did. Uh, <laughs> no. no, those, those, um, although Cheryl did say I posted something, I posted a memory of when we, me and the, my two other buddies that tap dance opened the, the Christmas pudding show. And Cheryl piped back in and said, uh, it's time for a repeat performance. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, really, Cheryl? So I don't know. I don't know what their theme is this year. I, have, I, I haven't been talked to yet about it. But, you know, if Cheryl and Alice said, hey, would you guys come out and, and do another, you know, short routine for the pudding, we'd be there in a heartbeat. You know, because I just love what they do. And they're no, good. Was, yeah, I was 110 degrees that day and that no shade. Cool. Yeah. I rested out there for three hours and then I looked out for you after the show and you were nowhere to be seen. So I was like texting you. We we shut down the center. We were we were inside the center with, with Cheryl and Alice and, and another gal um, who's a very close friend of theirs. And we were sitting in the dance room talking for several hours i didn't even get a selfie so i was like walking back to my car i was overheated and oh, you know man. no hey alice come and meet my favorite jkd student oh, <laughs> it's always it's always difficult because honestly there's so many people just tugging at him you know hey alice come here us so we just kind of go and hang and i get to spend a little bit of time with the, with their grandkids with uh falcon and riot and man, they've grown up so fast, those kids. So those your, are dashes. Those are dashes, um, little boys. Your, your, your kids grew up too. But um, yeah, I'm busting your shoes. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I love me a free Alice Cooper concert, but I, I really wanted to hang out and catch up with you. Yeah. But you're making up for it today, brother. Cool. So um, I'm glad that we could have you today on the podcast. So I, I guess we should get started here. Okay. Um, who knows where the conversation will go? We've got sure. this outline today, but hey, we just might throw it out the window. All I know is whatever the conversation goes, it will be great. 
Okay. So I read to the listeners your mile-long bio, dancer, actor, martial artist, director, producer, grandpa. Mm. I <laughs> like that last, about... <laughs> that last one sounds so good. It's so dear to my heart. <laughs> we're going to hear about all of those things. Now, today we're, we're going to talk about being safe in an evil world that we live in. So we're going to start off with your martial arts expertise. For those who don't know you, can you share how you got into the martial arts? Yeah, it's funny because I just I just was going through some data and everything. And I came up with this about me. And it basically, my journey in the martial arts began when I was about nine. And it lasted three classes because that was the introductory offer that my mom took me to. So I took these three introductory lessons and I was like, okay, whatever. And that was it. And then I thought nothing of it until I was 14. And that was in 1976. In 1976, my mom dragged me to see these movies with this legendary Asian martial arts hero named Bruce Lee. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So I went and saw those three movies. And it was, yeah, it was Enter the Dragon. It was uh, Chinese Connection and The Big Boss, which was given the, the name out in America, Fist of Fury. And I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. He was amazing. He was so quick. I thought it was so fun. And um, so that's what got me excited about it. And my mom really brought it, brought me there to see the movies to educate me about my Chinese heritage because I'm half Chinese. And so, um, so I just, I found a good karate school in Northern California, um, in, 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 in my area. And it was a Kempo karate studio. And I started taking Kempo and I just, went at it like crazy. I mean, I was in the studio as much as I could be and training every day. And I was always looking to, you know, learn from the black belts and the brown belts and spar with them and got my butt kicked all the time by them. But I became like the, the you know, like like kind of the, the studio son, which was cool. And I just trained and trained and trained. And um, so to date, so I mean, I've been training ever since. And to date, I've trained in a bunch of martial arts styles representing nations from all over the world. I've had some of the best instructors in the world. Um, I have black belts in several martial arts styles, including Taekwondo, Hapkido, and uh, um, American Kempo. Um, because I hold one of the highest ranks in Jeet Kune Do uh, concepts in the Filipino martial arts. And then I founded my own martial arts system called Christian Freestyle Karate. Um, and I had a ministry for a long time and had my own martial arts studio for like 19 years. Um, gosh, I, I fought in hundreds of karate tournaments. I never fought in any cage fighting because that wasn't around when I was younger. Um, I did full contact karate for a year, which was a blast. Um, I've been in a far too many street fights to mention or be proud of. Um, and, you know, I've taught my martial arts to people from all walks of life, including military and law enforcement and special forces. And that's kind of my, my, um, my martial arts history, if you will. And um, it's been a blast. It's always fascinated me. And I love the idea of learning. But I have also loved the idea of just, just the idea of how the dynamics of combat work. So it's, it, yeah, it's been a heck of a ride. I have a lot of great memories of finding your school and training with you for seven years. And I was bullied and stalked. And I was fondled by a guidance counselor in grade school. And I saw Karate Kid just like everybody else in the 80s, and I always wanted to study karate. Uh, when I got married, I found myself in an abusive relationship. My brother was already a martial artist and told me that I should try Jeet Kune Do. So I found your school in the yellow pages. Wow. <laughs> oh, look, a Christian JKD teacher. And I didn't know anything about Jeet Kune Do except that it was Bruce Lee's art. Mm -hmm. And I really liked him, of course, like you. But I will tell you, um, JKD was really challenging for me. I mean, 22 years later, martial arts is still really hard for me. I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. not naturally athletic. Even when I was a ballet dancer, it, it didn't come easy to me either. But mm -hmm. I loved it so much. And I was in your classes three times a week. Yeah. Did you take from me for seven years? Yes. Wow. Until you stopped teaching. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, at that time in my life, I was in a very controlling legalistic church. Some say it was cultish. Yeah. You know, women didn't wear pants. They, you would not touch the opposite sex except a handshake. You mm. Women didn't do sports. No modern music. No dancing. I never told anybody at the church that I was taking JKD. They, they would have freaked out. Yeah. And I remember it taking me a long time to get used to all of the grappling and close quarter combat. Yeah. But everybody was very nice and very respectful and patient with me. And we learned all of the basic fighting skills and self-defense. And we also did a lot of fun stuff, like the, the fake blood on the knives with the white T-shirts. <laughs> that was a blast. Fun. That was so fun. Were you there when I had everyone go out and grapple in the parking lot? No, I'm glad yeah, I missed that. <laughs> it, was the, it was the heat of summer. And I was like, you know, you guys got to realize when we're grappling and, you know, we're doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, we're on these nice cushy mats. And, you know, and I said, so I made everyone bring thick jeans and sweatshirts to class one night and we went out in the parking lot and I said okay we're going to roll on the on the concrete in 115 degree weather and the concrete was like a, a frying pan and it was really just to say this is what it would really feel like and I wasn't I mean we didn't stay out there very long because you know, and then I said now let's get into some rocks and you know yeah. when you when you when you end up you know mounted on somebody or in somebody's guard on rocks or you're on your back on rocks it's a whole different feeling um, oh, yeah. so, you know, tried, I tried to give it sometimes go, let's, let's see if we can find some way to, to, um, dispel some myths and go, this is what you're really going to feel if you happen to, you know, hit the ground in Arizona. Yeah, we definitely spent a lot of time outside in your front yard in 110 degree heat. I don't remember being there when, when you did the grappling on the concrete, but, uh, Thanks to Karen, your wife, she used to bring out popsicles for us when we looked like we were going to heal over from sunstroke. But um, it was it was rare when I left class feeling like I did really well that day. It, it, I remember it taking me forever. Hmm? It was a struggle for you. I know. It, it seemed like it was a challenge for you. It took me forever to learn timing, and boy, that shuffle front kick took me years to learn. I don't know why. And that odd six stick drill, mm -hmm. um, I still have problems with it. Um, but um, do you remember when I bought my first knife? You may not um, remember this. I think you. I think I do. I don't remember. Was it a cold steel blade? Was yes. it a cold steel knife? Yeah, a recon. Okay. Yep, it was a recon too. Yeah. Yeah, I had gotten some birthday money, and I really wanted to get a, a knife like the rest of the class, and it was after I had trained for a couple of years. So I went out and bought this Cold Steel Recon and showed it to my now ex, and he freaked out that I bought a knife, although we had guns in the house that, you know, he didn't even practice with, but he was angry that I didn't ask him permission to buy the knife. And I told him, well, there was no reason why I shouldn't have a knife since I was training three times a week with one. Yeah. But, you know, he wasn't real happy with me studying martial arts anyway. Uh, I think he believed that I was going to use my martial arts against him. Mm. Now, to be honest, that was never my intention. But we did have a conversation once that if he ever hit me, that I would fight back as hard as I could. I might lose, but I am going to go down fighting. Yeah. And I really believe that that was the reason why he never hit me. Now, he abused me in every other way except physical violence. But he didn't like that I was standing up for myself. Mm -hmm. Kundo gave me a spine. I think it was my training partners that told me every week that I shouldn't put up with my husband's abuse. Nobody should put up with abuse. No, it's, it's, no. It's not, it's not ever acceptable. When I finally decided to leave, two of my training partners, Steve and Julie, helped me to move out and start a new life. God bless them. So, God bless them. 
That's awesome. I look back with a lot of gratitude to you for teaching me because without Jeet Kune Do, I never would have met Julie or Steve. And I don't think I would have gotten the courage to get out. Well, so thank was... you from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you. And, and, and God bless, God bless you. And, you know, I was apparently there for such a time as that. So, you know, and I always say, you know, God used me and continues to use me in ways that aren't necessarily done through a church ministry or through the church, but he uses me to touch people's lives and in ways that, you know, for whatever, however long the season is, you know, so I, it's really neat to hear that story. So thank you for sharing that with me. I'm glad. Yeah, I didn't know if you realized what I was I going through at the time. You didn't. No. So it's, it's, it's always, um, it's, it's both uh, inspiring and humbling to, to see how God uses you and, and you get to see, because sometimes, you know, you don't get to see the fruit of things. And so when you hear something like that, it's like, wow, that's really cool. You know, I'm so glad that I, that God used that, that means to help you and to care for you, you know? And um, I somehow got to be a small part of that, which is cool. Yep, things, things happen for a reason. They sure do. And we have a lot of abuse survivors listening who have experienced violence. I have always recommended self-defense or martial arts to everyone. You know, but I still get some resistance. Sure. And then there are, the, you know, there are those people that it can't happen to them or, you know, they're the exception to violence. Hmm. Now, what are those statistics that used to always tell us in class about the reality of our world that we live in? Yeah, these statistics are legit, too. They come from uh, the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the Department of Defense, National Institute of Justice. Um, so these are all legit stats that I'm throwing out. I'm not just throwing these off at the top of my head. Um, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, which is part of the Department of Justice, Eight out of 10 people will be the victim of a random act of violence in their lifetime. So 80, actually their, their thing is 83%, which is more than eight out of 10. Um, you know, it's like eight point something out of 10, but it's hard to go, what is a point something of a human being? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So at least eight out of 10 people will be the victim of a random act of violence in their lifetimes. And so that's, that's one statistic. Depending on where you look, with the National Institute of Justice and the Department of Defense, they say that one out of three women between the age of 12 and 64 will be the victim of a sexual assault. Mm. And out of that, I think, I, I don't know this, the, the number, but an enormous percentage of that is not done by a stranger. It is by someone they know or, or are familiar with. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, one of the things that I think is really important is um, the Department of Justice also lists um, a statistic that is in answer to that. And again, nothing guarantees 100%, you know, success or invincibility. Right. But in the case of sexual assault, women who fight back have an 80 to 85% higher survival rate than those who do nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's fighting back in any way. That's not being trained to fight back. So those are some pretty, some pretty strong, um, some pretty strong statistics. But one of the things that that I tell people is, you never know how you're going to react mentally, especially when you're involved in a relationship and there's emotions. Mm -hmm. Because even, and, and I'm not saying it's a wrong teaching. We're taught to respect, you know, our wife or our husband. I mean, I'm going to speak in the case of wives. A wife is taught to respect her husband through the church and things, like that, and that's rightly so. I mean, it's biblical, right? Mm -hmm. And to honor her husband. But if there is an abusive situation, it may be hard to physically fight back because your mind will block that. So I don't know. Uh, I can't predict how somebody is going to react when faced with a situation. Nobody really knows. Most of us are not hardwired. Um, to really fight. Most of us tend to not do well in that, which is why, you know, people who are in law enforcement in the military, um, they're kind of the watchdogs for us. They're, they're wired a certain way that they can handle that kind of stress. And thank God for them because it's yeah. not, I mean, it's, it's a brutal job. So those are some of the statistics, but it really is an individual's choice, you know, mm -hmm. to go, if you, if you, 
you know, if, if it gives you a sense of um, strength or I use the term empowerment, even if you're not fighting back, you might go, I need to rethink the situation I'm in and maybe consider getting some help, speaking to somebody, going to somebody who can help me and, and, and you know, at least moving down that road. And, and if that gives, if taking self-defense classes gives that person that, that empowerment, then I think that's a good thing. Um, on, on the other side of the coin, I think a lot of times you can get a false sense of security. We've talked about those, and, and you brought that up in the outline. But if you know, a false sense of security is okay. I've taken this self-defense course, and now I can really kick some fanny. And that's not always the that's not necessarily true. And especially if you're not practicing. You mentioned, you know, your ex having guns, and you know, if you have a gun you have to be out at the range. You have to be practicing with it. Yes. You know, and it's just like martial arts. I have people I meet and they say, oh yeah, I'm a black belt. I'm like, when did you get your black belt? Oh, when I was 12 and they're like 60 now. Or like they're, they're even if they're 40, I'm like, so are you still training? Oh no, I haven't trained since I got my black belt. So although I recognize and respect that they earned a black belt when they were younger, to say that they are currently a black belt, that's like me saying, hey, I got my pilot's license when I was 18. And I flew for a year and I haven't done anything with a plane since, but let's go flying because I'm still a pilot. You'd be yeah. like, I'm not going flying with you because nope. I, I didn't I didn't get my pilot's license. That's just an example. Right. So, uh, so that, but that's some of the statistics about that. Yeah. Thank you for saying those things. You know, I've, I've heard some women saying. I can go anywhere I want. I can do whatever I want like get drunk around a bunch of strangers and okay i should expect to be safe in that kind of environment what do you say about that way of thinking um with all due respect i adamantly and vehemently disagree with that because the bible doesn't teach that the bible teaches that we live in a, of a in a fallen world and there is violence and there is murder and there is all these things and it is what it is and Personally, I wish it was so that you could go out and a woman could wear what she wants and she could go to do what she wants and things like that. But the reality is we live in a very dangerous world. Um, and depending on where you live, it's more dangerous than others. If you live in Haiti, it's very dangerous if you're a woman. If you live in, mm -hmm. you know, if you live in downtown Detroit, maybe not a really good place to go. And, you know, you don't, you can't, you can, you can say, I can do what I want, say what I want, go where I want get drunk if I want and all that. But there's also that side of wisdom because the reality is we live in a fallen world. There's, you know, that's, that's the reality that you have to face. And, and the other side of the coin is you can also become paranoid and just be so afraid, you know? So mm -hmm. there are things that you can do to help yourself um, be more aware of your surroundings, you know, and, um, I can tell you this. I mean, I, I did a, uh, I created an ebook um, that that I made about tactical thinking. I think you were there when Dan, my buddy Dan, my my friend who taught Jeet Kune Do, he mm -hmm. taught that tactical thinking seminar. Yeah. Well, I kind of went through that and revised it all and and wrote a, wrote an ebook about thinking right about violence because I can tell you this: my ability to think right about violence and and avoid it and and be alert to my surroundings has saved my life far more than my fighting skills have. And like I said before, I've been in more street fights than I'd like to mention, that I'd like to admit. Um, I lost several, and those are the ones I learned the most about fighting from. Um, but it's, um, it's just, it's a dangerous world. And we have to, I mean, again, with those statistics, should we be able to do what we want? Yes, but not in this world. And, and to say that we should, at best, it's delusional, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that it's just a dangerous way to think, you know. Yeah. But on the other side of the coin, you don't want to be paranoid either. I mean, I've never stopped training since um, I started martial arts and done more than one art. Mm -hmm. And there are places I do not go. Yeah. I mean, well, there are places I do not go. I don't go. I mean, and... and um, I'm a pretty modest dresser to begin with, but there, and, and I don't drink, but if I were to drink, it would be around people that I, I would trust with my life. I would never drink around anybody that 
uh, could possibly take advantage of me while I was inebriated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, I agree. Um, now we're going to touch on what you, you were talking about, you know, an actual attack with the popularity of martial arts in pretty much every movie, it seems and superhero movies and UFC. It's easy to think that that's what a real fight would be like. What's the reality of an actual attack? Um, I've never been in one, it's, by the way. It's, it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. It's never what you expect. It doesn't go the way you typically expect it to go in your head. Um, I always we, we make a joke on I it. Mean, you probably heard me used to say this. There's always three fights that occur. There's the one you train for. There's the one you actually have, which is nothing like the one you trained for. And the third one is the one you have afterwards. You went, oh, man, hopefully you're not in intensive care thinking this, but you go, oh, man, when I should have done this. I should have done this. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, we can all um, play armchair superhero or armchair fighter. And I, I'm going to say this. The UFC and, and mixed martial arts and cage fighting, there's so many now. Um, they're legit. They're tough guys and gals. They're tough. I wouldn't want to tangle with any of them. Mm -mm. Um, and it is more realistic than anything that we've experienced up to this point in the world of combat sports or combat arts. But it still has rules. It still has regulations to protect the fighters. It still has things that you're not allowed to do. And it's confined, it's confined to a cage. And it's always one on one. Yeah. And, you know, I always when I used to teach you guys, I would say, always equate the attacks to more than a one-on-one -on -one situation that there's always going to be somebody else because mm -hmm. that's that's one of the things about the grappling you can take a person to the ground if that's what you're trained to do and if you lose sight of his buddy who's behind you with a two by four you are now dead you know that two by four hits you in the back <laughs> of the head and it's lights out and it's bye-bye you know and, and you you're you're going home you're going home to jesus you know, and I, I mean that, you know, it sounds kind of blunt and everything, but sometimes it, it, we need to realize that and go, you know, even for me, I, I don't, I mean, I'm very confident in my fighting skills, but I do everything I can to avoid violence, to not go to places that are dangerous where I'm going to put myself in a, in a compromising position um, and be at risk. And, um, and I, you know, and especially as I've gotten older, you know, um, but my skills are still very honed. And, 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 and fine-tuned, but anytime you face violence, uh, even if you win, you're in a whole world of hurt. Everything hurts. Your body hurts. I mean, you're pretty beat up. You know, you don't walk away from a fight or a violent assault um, unscathed. Right. You know, in fact, part of my tactical, my tactical thinking ebook, I say when you do what you do, what you call um, um, – mind setting or, or visualization where you're thinking about you're kind of picturing the event happening one of the things that to make it real is you have to picture yourself hurt and injured but still fighting and surviving you know we all mm -hmm. kind of think, oh i'm gonna do the jackie chan jump flipping flipping spinning kick and knock the guy out and i'm you know i'm gonna dodge bullets like you know mm -hmm. neo in the matrix and it's like no the reality is it's it's violent it's a mess we, we call it the fog of war. When you're in the fog of war, it's very hard to keep your mind straight. It really is. Mm, so so I, I think the thing is, don't fool yourself. My answer to those people, the people who think that way, be don't fool yourself to think that you'll, you'll react like a superhero. I hope you would. But if you're not trained for it, you won't. If you do train for it, you, don't, you still don't know if you're going to because you've just never been under that stress. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we can't just take a weekend seminar. We've got to learn that, yeah. that muscle memory. Um, I have never had to use my, my physical skills. Thank, thank God. God. And I hope yeah. I never have to, but yeah. I've been followed. I've been, like I said, I was bullied. I was um, assaulted um, by a counselor. I have gotten out of potential situations just because I was paying attention because I was I yelled to get away I ran away um, and those are very valuable skills so you kind of touched on some other you know essential skills that don't involve punching or kicking yeah you know yelling yelling when somebody typically I mean you think about the bible it talks about evil 
evil likes to hide, right? It likes to hide in the shadows. It likes darkness. It likes not to be seen. Um, and so when you scream or you yell, you draw attention to the situation. And that person who's doing what they're doing may not want that attention. And that, that's a very good deterrent. I mean, it really is. Just don't scream help. Scream something like fire or something because you don't want, because people, when they hear help, they think, ooh, danger, run away. Of course, nowadays, people just grab their cell phones and, and watch you get assaulted and videotape it, which is, that just, that actually disgusts me. I mean, it's yes. like, no, yeah. Good gravy. So, but I digress. Yeah. Now, those that are listening who want to find a school or find a teacher, how would they go about doing that? I mean, we don't have the yellow pages anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to throw one more thing out because you mentioned something I think it's yeah. important to know. You talked about weapons, and there's lots of people, especially in Arizona. We're, we're a very open uh, carry yes. state for guns. Um, I'm a complete 100% proponent in our Second Amendment right to bear mm -hmm. arms. Um, and so, but people say, well, what if I have a gun? Well, I own guns. I own knives. I am very good with a knife. Um, in fact, if somebody said, if you were in an altercation and you had to use a weapon to fight with, what would it be? Hands down, it would not be a gun. It would be a knife. And so people who talk about having guns or weapons of any kind, one of the things with a gun and say, well, why do I need self-defense? I have a gun. First of all, you probably got it holstered. Mm -hmm. And if you're not open carrying, you're carrying concealed. So if you're female, it's probably in a purse or underneath a shirt. So can you get to that weapon fast enough when somebody assaults you? Because assaults are sudden and they're unexpected. You know, so that's one situation. The other thing is you draw that gun out and you pull the trigger. You're responsible for every projectile that comes out of yes. that gun. So mm -hmm. if you and, and to, to think that you can hit a person under a stressful situation. There's a, there's a author named Masad Ayub, and he wrote a book called Stress Fire, right? I and so Masad him. is the man when he talks to the, with the chemical things that happen to you when you fire. And even in, even, and he did these research in a gunfight that typically when a, when a police officer or, or somebody draws their gun to fire, the first two or three rounds are in the ground as the gun's coming up to bear on the target. And most of the, uh, most of the, the, the bullets miss so you're responsible for every one of those bullets that leaves your gun. Mm -hmm. And if that hits an innocent bystander and you wound or kill that person, you are now responsible for that. Mm -hmm. So it is one of those considerations to, to keep in mind. And then with a knife, one of the things with any weapon, I, I always use these three words, skill, will, and availability. Mm -hmm. Do you have the skill to actually use that weapon properly? If you don't know how to use a knife, if you don't know how to shoot a gun, if you're not practicing with those things, a stick, a bat, whatever, if you're not practicing regularly with it, then you're not keeping those skills up to date and you right. shouldn't have one. Or I suggest you shouldn't have one. Second thing, will. Are you willing to use that weapon to its fullest capabilities? A knife means, are you willing to take another human life to save yours or a loved one's? A gun, same thing. You don't shoot or cut to nick the person or right. shoot the leg you know when you're taught in, in in gun shooting you shoot for center of mass because it's the least chance of missing mm -hmm. so those things and then availability can you i mean i carry a, a knife most of the time and i carry it for emergencies because i've actually had a situation where i was, came upon a car accident and i cut a seat belt mm. to get out get out and so, and I can also use it to shatter glass if I need to in a car if there's an accident. So even though it's there for self-defense as well, can I draw it out and bring it to bear quick enough? And the answer usually is no, not if it happens suddenly. So, you know, that's, that's the consideration. So I wanted to throw that in there for you just so that they know I, I, I completely believe in our ability, our, our right to carry weapons and using a weapon, but are you skilled enough to use it? Are you willing to use it the way it's supposed to be used? And can you get to it? So all three of those are things that you have to consider. Obviously, because I own them, I say yes, but I don't rely on them all the time. Right. Those, um, are, those are excellent, excellent points. Um, you're, you're very right. My mom wanted my brothers to get her a gun and teach her how to shoot. And I had the conversation with her and I said, are you willing to kill somebody? She said, oh, no, I'm just going to shoot him in the kneecaps. I said, well, you can't do that. You will go to prison. Yeah, because okay? you're going to miss. <laughs> you're yeah, you're going to go to prison. And I said, and 
until you know all of the basic firearm safety and you're willing to kill somebody to save your life or somebody you love, then you shouldn't have a firearm. I'll get you some pepper spray or something. Yeah. So yeah, very good points that you made. So to get back to your first question, your other question was about finding a school. Yeah. You know, gosh, I wish I could actually tell you. Um, I think I think probably in this day and age, um, I mean, because even Jeet Kune Do has evolved. I mean, there are some really good Jeet Kune Do instructors around the country. I don't necessarily know them because I'm not as involved in it anymore in that community. Um, but I do think that mixed martial arts is a good um, martial art. I think it's more it's more practical than most. I mean, you can look for a good Jeet Kune Do instructor, but even that, it depends on what side of the Jeet Kune Do fence you're on. There's some that teach it more of a combative style and others who teach it more of a, um, they're more into the self, self-perfection self side of it mm-hmm. and the trapping, which is really fun, but it, it may not necessarily be as functional, you know? So mm-hmm. I really wish I, I could, um, I would probably suggest staying away from traditional martial arts um but that's why i kind of like the mixed martial arts because i mean bottom line is they're they're tough men and women in those places and and Mm -hmm. i used to love training with them and you know i have the greatest respect for them and you know you can you can you can get tough you know and you you can learn how to throw a punch and you can learn how to thigh kick a person you know and then um you know, you, you could probably look on the internet and just look up Jeet Kune Do concepts and the Filipino martial arts on YouTube and probably get a lot of lessons online nowadays. That's the beauty yeah, of our technology. YouTube. But unfortunately, that's about the, 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 the best I can offer as far as finding a school. I mean, interview them and find out what their focus is, you know. Um, and uh, But I found that most of, the, most of the best training is out of somebody's garage. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, studied under many, many hot garages. Uh, right now, I'm I'm doing Krav Maga, which is very, yeah, uh, very practical. And my and my my instructor is is a a Marine. Yeah, Krav Maga is a good one. I was going to mention that, but I didn't know I went. But since you're doing it, then yeah, I would say that's probably a good one. Total submission fighting. They have a YouTube channel that you can watch and learn some techniques with a partner definitely recommend them the techniques work in even with women or somebody that's short or not very strong the techniques work with some consistent practice and practicing those other skills like situational awareness get your face out of your phone put the phone away if you're in the phoenix area you can actually take classes they're very patient and very good instructors they break all the techniques down so you can perform them it's a safe place everybody's treated with respect and regardless of your skill level or what belt you have it is just rubber meets the road how to defend yourself we have body types of all shapes and sizes contact me if you want help in finding a school in your area i definitely am available to help you with that we're going to transition into your acting maybe something a little more light but i have to tell the story of how i found out who you were Okay. We were doing a kicking drill in class, and I did a kick really badly. And you blurted out, what the heck was that? So I said to my partner, Julie, maybe we could just sing and dance for our supper. I might be better at that. (laughs) So Julie says to me, that wouldn't be a good idea. Do you know who that is? I said, no. That's Lars England from Days of Our Lives. I'm like, what? You're kidding me. I used to watch that soap in high school with my good friend Tracy, and we would tape it on the VCR and then watch it after school. Wow. And I didn't believe Julie, so I went home and Googled you. (laughs) This was before smartphones. And And there I was. And there you were in all of your mullet and spandex awesomeness. So, <laughs> so I printed out the pictures and took them to class. And me and Julie, we were like giggling. 
<sighs> at the pictures and so jimmy comes around comes and asking us where do you two hands over here giggling about and so he showed him the pictures and we laughed through the whole class and i i remember that day that uh, i think that you threatened to separate me and julie <laughs> oh, that, that's funny that is hysterical <laughs> so i called i called tracy and i said you'll never guess who is my chicken dough instructor she's like a huge fan wow so, so yeah <laughs> so that, that was a heck of a season of my life too that's <laughs> How did you get into acting and dancing? Um, back when I was little, my mom took my sister to dance classes because she had weak ankles. And so my dad was an airline pilot. So we were kind of like, you know, one parent family because he would, he would be gone for four days flying. I, mom could only take us one place. So I tagged along and, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a very famous Broadway musical called A Chorus Line. And there's a character in that named Michael, and his, you know, his music is, I'm watching Cisco Pitter-Pat said, I can do that. That was me. That was me. I sat and watched my sister take dance class and went, I can do that. <laughs> and so one day my mom went, well, shut up or put up. I was like, <laughs> okay. So I got up there, and, and honest to goodness truth, I, I, I put on my sister's tap shoes, and they were too big, so I stuffed them with, like, tissue paper. And, and you know, stuff to just fill them in. And I took a tap class. And <laughs> I, I tapped from when I, I dan danced. I did jazz and tap and some ballet and, and tumbling. Did that from when I was like seven to when I was nine. And then my sister got into a swim team. And so I followed her to the swimming because again, dad was on flights. And so I had to, mom took us to swimming. So I got on the swim team. She made it all the way to the Olympics, became a world world champion, world record holder, silver medals in the Olympics, three gold medals in the Berlin Games, World Games, world record. And I tagged along and I got as far as the nationals, which was cool, but I never liked it. And so I did all this other stuff. But then back in 1976, 77, maybe, maybe my sophomore year in high school, this movie came out starring this man named John Travolta and it was called Saturday Night Fever. Mm -hmm. The disco craze was was on and I was hooked. So I went and got a fake ID. <laughs> Not to go into bars and drink, but to go into clubs and dance. And I disco danced and I loved it. And so once I and my and backtracking, my mom raised me watching all the classic movie musicals, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were my idols. Mm -hmm. Gene Kelly, Eleanor Powell, all the, all the movie greats. So I grew up watching all that and loved it. And uh, I thank God for that because my mom gave me that love for, for, the, for the, the, the beauty and the art of, of musicals, especially. Mm -hmm. So that's, that always was in the back of my mind. And then, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, when I graduated from high school, I came back from my senior trip, um, spending a month in Hawaii being a, a bum. And, um, came back and got into a bit of a um, confrontation with my mom. She says, what are you going to do with your life? And at that point, I was training to be a pilot. I was going to get my pilot's license and follow my dad's footsteps and become an airline pilot because it was a great, great um, job, great career. And uh, I loved flying. So, um, but then I, you know, I kind of got the, uh, I got the dance bug because my mom said, well, do something with your life. And so I was Wanted, I said, I don't know how to get into a, a show. And she had a friend who was choreographing a community theater production of Kiss Me Kate. And I went and auditioned for him and he made me a featured dancer and the rest is history. And then it just took off. I fell in love with it. And I always say I was going to be an airline pilot. And then I quit that and moved away and joined the circus, <laughs> which basically what I did. I just I wanted to be in the entertainment industry. And, and you know, and and that's how it moved. And I was blessed to have some of the best teachers and some people really helped me and care for me, uh, mm -hmm. which would take too long to describe now, but it was, that's how it took off. And, you know, one thing led to another and I ended up doing Broadway musicals and starring on Days of Our Lives and doing guest starring roles and dancing with everybody from Michael Jackson to Diana Ross and, you know, being an A-list dancer where choreographers like Kenny Ortega, who did all the high school musicals and The Descendants and Julie and the Phantoms. I mean, Kenny was a good friend of mine, still is. And, you know, I would just get called by him and say, do you want to, you want to work? I'm like, yeah. 
and I turned down, I turned down tours with like a chorus line and with Cher and with Madonna and oh, wow. yeah. So I, that was, I mean, I was, I was a busy boy. Yeah. So you had a, a life that most people dream of. Now I recently saw Amanda Tapping's video. She's from Stargate, one of my favorite actresses. You know Amanda Tapping? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. I don't know her person. I know who she is though. Yeah, she's amazing, and she is a director in Hollywood, and and she did a video recently about her experience with the Me Too movement in Hollywood, how she was treated. I will link that in the show notes for everybody. Your wife, Karen, is also an accomplished actress. And she was a gorgeous Hollywood starlet. Yes, she was, and... I wanted to ask, have you or, or Karen ever experienced or, or seen abuse of a treatment in the, the movie or acting industry when you were a part of it? Um, you know, I'm very aware of the Me Too movement, and um, I think there's definitely some legitimacy, a lot of legitimacy to it. Um, my concern about the Me Too movement has been that everyone comes up and said, yeah, this guy hit up on me while I was doing a show. Well people hit up on people all over the world. When you're at a club and you hit up on a girl, it's not part of the Me Too movement. And I've actually had some, some of my very good friends who are female dancers back from the 70s and 80s who said, when everyone comes out and jumps on the bandwagon, it takes away from the people who were drugged and, and really, you know, um, you know, abused and brutalized in that mm -hmm. way you're taking advantage of. So I personally not experienced it. Um, my wife hasn't. Although there's an expectation on women in the industry that they're supposed to be sexual and they're supposed to be, you know, hoochie and they're supposed to be immodest. Um, that's what they call coming, coming of age as an actress and a dancer or as a performer. Um, obviously, as a Christian, I don't agree with that. But um, there's, there's always, I mean, it is a very visual um, industry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back in the 80s, people were hooking up all the time. It was sex and drugs and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, if you, I mean, there were people hooking up and I mean, mutually hooking yeah. up, you know, and the, I, I was, I've had, I've had court, male choreographers, male directors, you know, want to date me, make, you know, offhanded comments, you know, s s something sexual that it's in the eighties and the seventies, you just write that off as that's just part of the business and that people mm -hmm. just talk crap like that. Pardon my French. Um, and that's just, that's the way it is, but it wasn't, it wasn't like they were, they were just saying, you know, in a sense, I find you attractive. I'd like to hook up with you. And, and my answer was no, <laughs> no, thank you. You know? Um, so neither of us really experienced that, but I do know that there's that expectation and I do know it does exist. It definitely does exist. I have a friend who I, I can't mention her name, but her mom was a very, very, very famous, um, uh, R&B singer back in the old days of Motown and stuff. And she had a Bill Cosby experience Aww. that That's didn't, it didn't happen to her when Bill Cosby found out who she was and that her mom was this woman, he kicked them out of his mansion. Mm. So nothing yeah. ever happened. So, yeah. So it's definitely real, but that's about all I know. That's about as far as I can comment on that. I, I appreciate the, uh, the um, perspective that you have on that because I don't personally know anybody in the movie industry except yourself. Very real. The casting couch is a very real thing. Mm. You know. I mean, it's hard to set boundaries in those kind of areas. Yep. When I, when I counsel kids who are wanting to be in the industry, I, you know, and uh, I usually, first thing I tell the parents, I always meet with the parents with them. I said, look, my job right now is to talk you out of it because it's the hardest industry to get into. It's harder still to sustain a career in it. But I let them know. Um, one of the things I say to them, I said, you better have your line in the sand that you will not cross because that industry will ask you to cross those lines. And if you don't know where you, you know, it's kind of like I had an old pastor say this one time, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if you don't have your line in the sand, you're going to be asked, you're, you're going to cross lines. And you might find yourself going, I didn't mean to do that nude love scene, but exactly. I did, you know, and when you're really, and when you're hurting for money and you're, you know, and you're having to pay rent, 
you know, you've got to have that, that moral high ground that says, this is the line that I won't cross. And then you stick to that. And so that's, you know, that's kind of the advice I give a lot of kids or young teenagers who are like wanting to have an industry career, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much for being a, a mentor to some of these dancers and actors going into the industry. And uh, I wanted to leave 10 minutes for you to um, talking about your your current teaching, your your dancers you're working with, and I want to hear all about your new project with Tapping the World. So oh yeah, well we actually we actually came up with a new title for it, but I like Tapping the World because the website's easy to go to. Uh, Sarah, the, the gal that's that's starring in it, who's a dear friend of mine, she's arguably the best female tap dancer in the world today. Probably among tap dancers, she's probably in the top three in the world of all of best tap dancers in the world. And um, so we, she has a, she has a, she has a song that she wrote and she taps to, it's called it's tapping like it's happening. Oh, and cool. so we're going to, we're, we're, we're going to change the title to it's tapping and it'll be like, it's tapping Costa Rica. It's tapping Puerto Rico. So it'll be, it'll be that. So, um, but yeah, I'm still teaching. I'm teaching a lot of dance. I teach at three different studios. I just got back from teaching at the, number one industry prep program for dancers in the country. It's called TAPS. It's in Las Vegas. So I did a, a three hour, uh, I did a one day trip and went and worked with their dancers and it was great and got to, you know, got to help them and kind of tell them things. So, so I'm still teaching a lot of dancing. Um, and then uh, I judge for a local dance uh, competition when it comes into town locally. And uh, the big thing that I'm doing is um, I got a new project. Um, and I kind of geared off of a lot of these travel shows nowadays. A lot of travel shows are the food shows or all these different shows. And so we, I came up with an idea based on Sarah's um, exploits as a tap dancer. She toured with a group for three years called Postmodern Jukebox. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've heard of them. They take mm -hmm. pop songs and they make them big band. Ooh. They're, they're amazing. They're amazing. And they have some of those. And their musicians are just screamingly talented they're amazing mm. and so she toured with them for three years all around the world and she had all these different adventures and she would tell us you know when she'd come over and stay with us she'd tell us stories i'm like sarah we need to do a travel show based on your tap dancing and go to some of these places and introduce the audiences to these people and some and, and some of the people from all walks of life and some cultures mm -hmm. and i think in today's and I know I don't want to talk politically, but in today's social political climate in the world, there's so much anger and animosity towards one another. And I've, I mean, I got hooked on this show called Somebody Feed Phil. And the guy who's, who is in it, he's the, he's the creator and producer of Everybody Loves Raymond. And mm -hmm. so it's, a, it's like, it's so good because it's all about food and he's obviously connected with a lot of celebrities. But at the end of the show, it's always about the people that you get to meet. And my, my cousin asked me, she said, why do you want to do this show? And it took me a, overnight to think about it. And I told her the next morning, I said, because people are fascinating and they're important. Yes. And so she goes, you're going you're gonna to make a million dollars off of this show. And I, I don't know if that's true, but it really is because so, so we're using tap dancing as a platform or as a catalyst, as a vehicle to, to introduce the audience to people that we meet in these different countries and, and states around the, around the world, um, cultures and experiences. Like she had this really cool experience in San Juan, Puerto Rico, that was like really amazing. And so we're gonna go and kind of use the tap dancing when she goes and teaches as a, and then she also goes and jams in clubs as a tap dancer with jazz bands. And through those, you meet these most, the most fascinating people with the most amazing stories. And they know things about those areas and things that tourists don't typically do that they'll go, come and do this with us. This is so cool. And so that's the, that's the show. And it's going to be, we're probably going to, it's probably going to run about 30 to 40 minutes in length each episode. We're going to, we're, we're trying to raise funds to do a, um, to do a five episode, actually five plus one, the one episode's a bonus. Um, but we're trying to do that. And, um, and then we're going to put it up on a platform like Prime Direct, like Amazon Prime, because mm -hmm. you can upload those independently, and then they take a percentage of what's downloaded when it's downloaded. So we're going to do that, and we're going to see if we can't get it to fly. And, you know, we had, since I started the idea, 
um, you know, I started the website, but we've, um, we're trying to raise 24 grand, but we've raised already like $8,300. But the thing that, that is amazing is um, we had a, a very, very generous um, donor who wishes to remain anonymous mm -hmm. that gave us his nine seat private jet to Ooh. take us to all of our locations completely free of charge. And, you know, things like that. I, I wow. found out that a jet like that costs $2,800 an hour. Yeah. Cost. And he's given us to it to us 100% free of charge to take us wherever we want. And we have first, first dibs on the plane and to, to take it when we want it. And then I also had a, 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 um, a um, travel agent who is one of my students' parents step up and say, I'd like to, I'd like to work with you on sponsoring your rooms. And if I can't get a hotel chain to comp you the rooms for mention on your show, I'd like to sponsor the rooms. So two of our biggest wow. costs are taken care of, but that's kind of how God works. That's right. And so um, I'm, uh, it's humbling. It's terrifying and exciting at the same time. Cause you know, so that's, that's kind of what we're doing now. And I'm really excited about it. So I'm doing this all while I'm still teaching at three studios and, and directing a martial arts program at a gymnastics center. And I still have my pool service company and yeah. you know, my YouTube channel, my pool school, YouTube channel, it's called pool school. I have almost 33,000 subscribers on that channel. Wow. Yeah. So I got a lot of things going on, but this, this project is kind of exciting. I wish I had a pool. I don't have a pool. <laughs> I don't have a pool. I don't have a pool because I clean everybody else's pool. I don't want to clean. I don't want to clean my own pool. <laughs> well, that sounds like an amazing project, and I would definitely be looking for it when it comes out on Amazon Prime. But yeah. all of the links are going to be in the show notes for everybody. Yeah, and if if they wanted to, the link for tapping the world. If they wanted to go to that website, there's a little video of Sarah, and it kind of shows what we're doing. And then there's there's like a you can donate if you wanted to donate, and um. Yeah, I don't know. I was gonna. I thought about, and I we can't like quote me on this, but you know that ebook that I created for for how to think rightly about violence. Maybe we could do something where if somebody wanted to make a donation from your listeners, that for a for a for a donation, we could send them that ebook. That would be cool. Ebook. I don't even have the ebook, so I would want one too. Yeah. <laughs> We really need help. I mean, it's one of those crowdfunding things that if you can give a little bit, if everyone gives a little bit, we can reach our goal. We have a goal of 24,000. We're almost halfway there, um, which is great. We've had a lot of people step up. But I want to offer a special incentive to all the listeners of DSW Ministries. And here's how it goes. Diana, she's interviewed me. You know that I'm, I've been in martial arts for 46 years and I have a tremendous amount of experience, especially when it comes to true self-preservation, which is the ability to survive violence anywhere, anytime against anyone under any circumstances using any means necessary. But one of the most important thing, and this is to me the most critical thing, is learning how to think right and psychologically prepare yourself for violence. I can tell you this, in the 46 years that I've been doing martial arts and the life that I've lived, my critical or tactical thinking skills have saved me far more than my physical fighting skills ever have. And I possess a tremendous amount of physical fighting skills. So I've, I've created an ebook called Tactical Thinking, Learning to Think Right About Violence. And as an incentive gift for all of you listeners, if you donate to our project, at least $40 or more, I will email you that book absolutely free or as a way of saying thank you, all right? And again, this is accumulation and a culmination of 46 years of experience and knowledge and training and research and reading and my learning that will help you to be able to think right about violence. So here's what you do, go to the website, tappingtheworld.com. And there are a couple places in there you can pay via Venmo. You can donate via Venmo, which is my preference because Venmo doesn't take a percentage. Or if you don't have Venmo, you can donate via PayPal. Even though they take a percentage, we still appreciate your donation no matter what. You can click on those links and in those, and there's a link to each of those on the website, you can specify how much you want to donate. If it's at least $40 or more, make sure you put two things in the comments or the notes when you make the donation. Number one, this is the promo code DSW Ministries. Okay, so remember, put DSW Ministries in 
the comments in your comment when you make the donation and include your email address. That's really important because Venmo does not give me your email address. PayPal will, but just to make it easy, whether you donate via Venmo or PayPal, I will not share that email address with anybody, but what it allows me to do is email that ebook directly to you. Okay, and there's also a place, it's a QR code on the, on the website as well. If you wanna scan it with your phone, it'll go directly to Venmo. So you can make those donations any of those ways. But take advantage of that, get that ebook as an additional thank you gift for helping us and thanks for considering. I have learned some things about you that I, I didn't know, which was fun. And you offered so much value and great advice and Again, I'm so grateful for you, my friend, being in my life, even though we've <laughs> 10 years since we've seen each other. So don't wait that long for us to do something fun together. Thanks well, for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And, and I had a, I'll leave you with this. I will see you again. If not here, I know I'll see you there. And so, that, so that, that's, that's our greatest hope. Amen. God bless All you, right, brother. Hope. All right, you take care and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.